Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and we're doing things a, a little bit differently this episode. No live show from the CITR studios due to the snow, with Steve and Zach having to come in all the way from the interior, well, Surrey and Abbotsford, but with the guys being out there and the snow being pretty bad and the temperatures due to drop very late at night when we would be heading home, decided that we would do this show from the AFTN studios, which sounds a, a lot fancier than it actually is of me sitting in the bedroom with my microphone and getting the guys on the phone to chat all things whitecaps and a few other things as well. It's not been the, the busiest weeks for the Whitecaps yet again. There has been some new additions, both on and off the pitch, so we're going to look at that in this episode. We're also going to hear from the Whitecaps' first round draft pick in Thursday's MLS Super Draft, Ryan Raposo. Got a chance to sit down and, and chat with him on Thursday afternoon after the draft. So we'll look at what his addition might mean to the team, how many minutes we think he might get in the, the team this season, which is obviously hard to tell just now because there's a still a big lack of playing personnel in the Whitecaps roster for the upcoming season. We'll also chat about some of the rumours that are going around the Whitecaps right now. But first off, we want to look at a big addition that took place off the pitch. The Whitecaps have a new CEO. Now, it's been a, a little bit of an under-the-radar appointment, there had been murmurs that the Whitecaps were looking for a CEO as well as a sporting director. There's a lot of fanfare made in November with the appointment of Axel Schuster as the club's first sporting director. He's been the guy that's been taking part in a, a lot of the interviews and press conferences in the build-up to the, the pre-season kicking off on Saturday. But the appointment of a CEO was something which the, the Whitecaps... I feel have needed for a, a long, long time. And the man to get that job, hired as the, the club's chief executive officer, is American Mark Panis. 
Now, Panis will report to ownership and will oversee all the business aspects of the club, with Schuster taking charge of all the kind of playing aspects of the club and also answering to ownership, with Mark DeSantis working hand-in-hand with Axel Schuster. Now, Panis's appointment looks to be a really good appointment. They've got a very strong and experienced CEO, a guy that has worked at the highest level of sport, both in North America and over in Europe. Spent 10 years with the New York Knicks, and that included three years as vice president of marketing with them, where he oversaw all ticket and sponsorship revenue, brand management for, for the team. And he has done so many jobs for the Knicks in that 10 years, kind of working his way up, doing a lot of the, the, the roles in the organisation. That's something that Jeff Mallett alluded to when he was introducing Mark at a media roundtable on Tuesday. He's also been the director of a Global Sports Group for HSBC Private Bank in London, managing funds of over a billion and for 500-plus athletes and institutions across the world of football, Formula One, rugby, tennis, golf, cricket, and a lot more beside. And he's, he did that from 2006 to 2011. Football-wise, he's got experience over in Italy with Serie A club AS Roma. He spent six years with Roma from 2011 to 2016, holding numerous positions, including the CEO of the club and the president of the club's IP licensing business. He was also the the CEO and project lead for the Stadio della Roma from 2011 to, to 2016, which, when he left... The stadium still hadn't been built, and to this day, the stadium hasn't been built. But that that's something we can maybe talk to, to Panis about at some point in the future as to the, the issues that he's had with that. But he comes to Vancouver with a, an absolutely fantastic resume, and it's and the appointment of a CEO is never really that exciting in addition to the majority of fans, because the business side doesn't really interest a lot of people. They just really care what's happening on the pitch. But he's come in with a wealth of experience, probably a wealth of contacts as well. And he talked a lot at the media roundtable on Tuesday about wanting to turn the Whitecaps into a global brand. So let's just hear a little bit now from Mark Panis, some of the stuff that he said on Tuesday and just talking about his his desires and his wishes to expand the Whitecaps beyond Canada, beyond North America and make them a, a team that players want to come to a team that supporters around the world want to follow, and financially, a team that businesses around the world, big businesses around the world, want to invest in. Here's new Whitecap CEO, Mark Panis. I'm honoured to be CEO of this club. Um... I think there's a tremendous amount of upside here. Like, I, I look at this and say, you know, we've got committed ownership, you've got a s- stable and sophisticated senior staff, but also all the way down on both the business side and on the, uh, uh, on the technical side. And then we have, like, um, pretty amazing facilities out at uh, UBC and, um, and tremendous uh, sophistication in the organization from the kind of the youth pyramid all the way up on a technical op side. And then I look at BC Place and, you know, um, we're not an MLS team that's contra- constrained by a 22 or 25,000 seat building. Uh, 
uh, you know, as I was doing my research for this opportunity, um, one of the things that really stood out for me was that when the city of Vancouver was half as large as it is today, it was able to draw, uh, on occasion, upwards of 50,000 people. And there's a 54,000 seat stadium there. So, um, and there's a lot of customization possible with the sales structure. So, whether we're drawing 25 or 30 or 35 or more, we have that capability. So, this flexibility there um, to create a really intense home pitch advantage. And, um, and that's, that's also uh, something that's very appealing. New York, Rome, the Knicks, mm -hmm. Roma, I mean, these are huge names in, in global sports. Yeah. Here in the village of Vancouver, uh, how is that? How do you feel about that transition? Like, what, what made you think that this was the job that, as Jeff said, you really wanted? Oh, there's a. Um, so I'm a big believer in a kind of a marquee club in marquee cities, and it's unquestionable that Vancouver is a marquee city, and it really sits at a nexus. It's part of the Commonwealth, so there's a 50 plus country network that we're going to be able to um, have a presence in. And then it sits on the Pacific Rim as a gateway. And, you know, there aren't really, I mean, this is the city that has that. That's very unique as a combination. Um, it allows us to reach into Asia for fans and players. It allows us to reach into the Americas for fans and players. And it allows us to reach into um, uh, Europe and, and, uh, and Africa for, for both. I mean, it's, that's a, you know, it's... It's a very unique combination. And, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of stability here at the ownership level, which is so oftentimes when, the, so the clubs I've worked at, um, I've been fortunate enough that when I've arrived, first as a very junior person in New York, and get to learn a lot observing, although I spent a decade there, but at the beginning, you see clubs at, at a, an inflection point. They're ready for really, really significant growth. And, um, there's an old line that says uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, and it sure sounded like it was rhyming here. So, as, a, as someone with extensive marketing and business background, what do you think your biggest challenge is going to be starting right now? It's a good question. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, we want to fill the building, right? And so, when we say fill the building, it's you know, it's configured for mid to high twenties. We want to fill that, obviously. Um, so, selling tickets is part is is a challenge. Right. Um, I think um, the league has new media deals coming up, and Jeff, I know, um, I think we believe you chair that chair that committee. So there's there's you know uh, some anticipation that comes along with that, but also you know um, the deals for Canada are going to be a little bit different than the U.S. deals as part of that. Right. So there's a, a series of things that will be going on there uh, um, for sponsorship. I think that's one area we'd really love to bring in some global partners. I mean, that was something I think that sent a real significant signal to the marketplace when we were at Roma. We brought in um, Nike for our kit deal. We did a deal with Disney. We did a deal with Volkswagen, you know, major global brands. And so those were very, very catalytic in, in um, making things tangible for fans um, and signing players, you know. And, and I think, uh, I've got to tell you, uh, the ability to be working, like, joined at the hip with Axel is pretty awesome. Because his reputation globally is is uh, is outstanding. So Mark Panis there saying a lot of interesting stuff uh, about the White Caps. 
how he sees them advancing in the future, the, the growth aspirations that he's got. And from what he said on Tuesday at that round table and at various things since then, this is not a guy that's going to sit in his hands. He's said he's not a guy that's just coming in to observe. He's going to be busy. He's not going to make change for change's sake. But he wants to, to grow this organisation. And basically, that's what he's been brought in to do. That's what he's paid to do. And his success will be judged on how big he can grow the Whitecaps off the pitch. And obviously a lot of the growth off the pitch can be linked with on the pitch. But it's lofty aspirations, that's good to see. And to talk a little bit more about what Panis brings to the Whitecaps and, and what we can maybe expect from him in the future and what this appointment means to the club and the front office is regular AFTN co-host Zachary Adam Meisenheimer, who is out in snowy Abbotsford. How is it out in the interior, Zach? Yeah, it's going to be a very, very chilly week, which is always nice to welcome the players back for, for pre-season training when they get back at it next weekend. And Next Monday, right? Uh, yeah, they're officially back in on Saturday for their like medicals and everything like that, and then out on the pitch, yeah, next Monday. So there could be some rude awakenings if there's any, if there's any new sort of South American signings or anything. One person that is new and is certainly around the Whitecaps right now is new CEO Mark Panis. And I just thought, if we're talking front office, there's no other person I can speak to front office about than, than your good self, Zach. What did you make of the Panis announcement? It was a bit of a surprise, kind of came a little bit out of the blue, I felt. Well, yeah, I can't remember when it was, but a, a, a month or two ago or whatever, or a while ago, I think Weber was talking about how, oh yeah, there are also this potential new CEO coming in and and then that kind of there wasn't a lot a, a lot of uh, a lot around that at the time um, and I think that was the only person who was really talking about that um, but I, I usually enjoy when mark is right um, and and uh, yeah I think this is a, I think this is a positive thing for 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 the Vancouver Whitecaps I mean when you talk about the people who've been kind of playing the playing the role of the face of the club from an executive level. You're talking about Bobby Leonard, you're talking about uh, Rachel Lewis, and you're talking about Greg Anderson. And although they need to be applauded for uh, the success they brought, uh, they helped bring the club in the pre-MLS era, and they need to be applauded for helping getting the club into MLS, uh, I, I, I don't think you can look at the MLS era and see it as anything but disappointing from an executive level down to, to on the field. And so like not taking away from things that in the past, and of course in particular Bobby Leonard Uzi and all his contributions to Canadian uh, BC and Vancouver football, not taking anything away from that, but I don't think the role that was, that was played in the, in from those people in that last era was, was just good enough, right? Like when you talk about football, you're talking about results, you're talking about what's happening on the pitch, what's happening, you know, with the club and the results just haven't been good enough from you know virtually every everywhere you want to look at it, uh, and so I think that the fact that there's a new a new freshness, right? So with Bobby being reshuffled or reorganized into his new liaison role, uh, you have him basically replaced with Axel, and now I think you have Greg or more so Rachel kind of as the the executive 
face of the club being replaced with, not replaced with, but uh, I think you'll see the face of Mark Pannis as more than you will Rachel Lewis, right? She's more with the financial yeah. side of things. And so now you have this new face, this new public face, and I think that that's a positive thing for the Whitecaps. Uh, I, I don't know the dude well. I don't know a lot about him other than what you know, we've all been told and we've all read. Um, you know, he has sporting North American sporting experience. He has uh, European football experience. Uh, he's done a bunch of, you know, uh, interviews. He's talked to a lot of people. He's getting out on social media and trying to be very positive. Uh, so it seems like a positive move. It seems like a step in the right direction. It seems like they're trying to show at least some amb- some ambition uh, on the on the off field side, which is, feels like quite a quite a change. Um, and so I think everyone has to view that as as being positive. But in terms of like, yeah, do I expect great things? I mean, you know, from him in that role. Time will tell. Like I, I have no, I have, I have no way to to to, to kind of guess at that or, or whatever. Because I don't know. Like I, I don't, I have, I don't know any Roma ultras to reach out to and be like, hey, what's what's your take <laughs> on this guy? Or hey, he says he he stood in, in your curve with you. Is, is you know how true is that? You know, you know, or what was his what was he like in dealing with you guys? Um, so I don't have any any people to connect with on that at this point. Although I've, I've kind of reached out to a few people in the Italian football community to see if they know, um, but I haven't heard back. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of role because you know, he's talked a lot about the importance of bringing back people. He's talked the importance about uh, I think connecting with new people. He's talked about um, you know being a, a a person who wants to stand shoulder to shoulder with his supporters and and be in this with them and. So those are, like those are all positive things, right? Those are all you know good things, and I think it's I think the best way to talk about this moment for Vancouver is there's some glimmers of hope. I think that is a, a good way of summing it up. And I mean, I don't want to labour this because I went on about it last week in the show and in my article about it as well. But when you look back at the past decade and you're trying to find the real, real highlights from ten years nine of them in MLS, it, it's a struggle to find the the real positives. And no. yeah. it, I mean, it's it's disappointing. It feels like it's been a number of years that have kind of passed us by. They've kind of been wasted. You look at our Cascadian rivals, Seattle, Portland, and I think it's hard not to compare yourself with Portland because we came in at the same time. And you just look at how how they've spent, how they've interacted off the pitch, how they've engaged the local community in Portland and throughout Oregon. They've they've landed an MLS Cup. They've they've been successful. And then you look at the Whitecaps, and you're like, where did it exactly go wrong for the Whitecaps? What happened? Now I'm not saying a CEO would have solved all those problems because, as you know, some of it's very hit and miss. But we tried. We had Paul Barber. Things didn't get off to a great start with him. It was very prickly relationship, especially with the supporters. This feels different, and this feels already like yeah, you can't take anything but the positives from it. Yeah, yeah, and I know, I know everything I say. Some people are gonna just might feel it's a bit too harsh or whatever. But like my perception is is this: the the closer you were to the the inner workings of, of the Whitecaps, the the, the the more negative your perception is. So when you look at like from a when you look at the supporters who spent time in meetings and trying to work with and 
get things done or whatever, when you talk to most of them, it was almost like the more time you put in, the more negative your perception is is of of the, of the club and how it was run and the people who were responsible for that. So I agree with you that when you look back at the MLS era, it is hard to find things that are were you know great great standout highlights. Obviously, there are some, but a lot of them are like small things, like a nice goal from an, you know an amazing player or whatever, yeah. uh, or a, 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 you know a couple of nice victories or, or whatever. But like actual success to, to that was like foundational and to build on yeah it's really it's it's really lacking in that yeah because i mean that that's the thing like most of the highlights were like individual moments or goals and any club around the world a non-league club in the uk at the end of 10 years could go oh this was a highlight this great goal that this one guy scored and it's it's actual success it's actual silverware growing the fan base and, I mean, Mark Panis has come in and he's talked, I mean, he's ambitious. You, you can certainly say that. You, you look at him talking about the stadium and the fact that we know the Whitecaps, whether you want to say it was maybe artificial sellouts or not because a ticket sold, etc., etc. But for the majority of their nine seasons in MLS, the games have sold out. Yes, it's been a shorter or a smaller attendance at BC Place and BC Place holds. And folk have always been about, oh, open it up, do this, do that. Which, to me, would have been foolish because you'd have just had a, a wide open stadium with so many empty spots. But Mark Panis is already talking about expanding and growing that fan base from the 21,000, the 22, the 25. And like growing it, maybe opening the whole lower bowl, maybe starting to open the, the upper bowl. Is that too ambitious or is that something that you think we could be a Seattle, we could be an Atlanta, we could pack our stadium both lower tier and upper tier? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you, I don't think, I don't see that happening in Vancouver for a while and I don't see that happening in Vancouver with the limited designated player budget that, that ownership has bestowed upon the people responsible for that, namely Axel and MDS. Long term, yeah, sure. And I'd rather he, I'd rather someone like Panis say that now. You know, say, hey, in an ideal world, this is where we want to go, right? You, you want someone to to say that, uh, and I give him the benefit of the doubt because he's new. And uh, you know, if, if one of the older people, uh, older people in terms of their, their time at the club, was was saying that, I, I don't think it would hold any any value, to be honest. But because it's a new person. It's the kind of ambition you want. You want someone in that role, in that role to, in that role to say. I think that even though you know to get over, I mean, this year I think the the average dropped to like nineteen thousand and change. But to get over twenty thousand at BC Place is maybe not an achievement, but it was a, it was a good level. I, I think I think when you look back, aside from the player acquisition side of things, and aside from the, the results on the pitch, I think that. A fair criticism is that they could have done more to fill the lower bowl on more occasions than the times that they did. Um, but that has to do, I think, in part, at least with your pricing structure and how they approached that and how they went about that. I think they definitely could have done things differently that could have led to more matches that were more actually full. Well, I mean, that's the other thing that Pan has talked about as well. He wants to, to grow the, the brand internationally, make them a, a kind of global name. Now, Paul Barber was 
ridiculed and it's still kind of become a popular comment that we always make fun of about saying the Whitecaps to be one of the top 25 clubs in the world. Now, Mark Panis isn't quite making as bold a statement, but he is saying that they can become an, an international name. Target the, the Asian market, the African market, the Commonwealth, the Pacific Rim. And, I mean, that is all fantastic. And one thing that I found it really interesting, and it wasn't really picked up upon, I thought, too much by the media afterwards, is a, a little snippet that Jeff Mallett let slip, which is that in the past... If you wanted to market yourself overseas, it had to be through the league. But the league have now said that clubs can market themselves and make money and do revenue streaming and everything themselves overseas now. And I think that's a big, big step for a number of these teams. And the Whitecaps could genuinely capitalise on that. If they if they brought in players like a, a Japanese player, you get the Japanese market. An African player, you, you get players in that or fans in that market. It's an interesting development and a, a new direction, I think, for MLS. Yeah, I mean, new directions are important. Um, it, I, it's interesting to it's interesting that that is a, an area where they're not sticking together as a league because I wonder if that can or will give an unfair advantage to to certain clubs. Yeah, what they'll be able to do in terms of bringing in revenue uh, to help them in a specifically areas like designated player spending. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, if Zlatan was still at LA, imagine oh, how yeah. marketable that is. And it's like you don't want the rest of the league to benefit from that if you're an LA fan or LA executive, but the rest of the league would want to. Which is weird, too, because I know, like, leagues around the world, like you think of the Bundesliga, right, or that English league, right? They, they although the clubs obviously are doing things individually... They, when it comes to like, like I think you said uh, streaming rights or whatever, yeah. those things are all done league wide, right? So you don't like Bayern's not selling streaming rights in in Asia. It's the Bundesliga as a whole is selling the streaming rights in Asia, and Bayern gets a piece of that. But uh, yeah, so it, I mean, regardless, yeah, you you think like a club like Vancouver could take advantage of that, right? Like even even in the moment. If, if, for example, In Bom Wong doesn't leave this winter or doesn't leave this summer, you know, you'd think they'd be able to market themselves in Korea yeah. and maybe, maybe see some fruit from that, you know, in the time when Kai Kamara's here, you think they could do some, yeah, marketing in, in, you know, in Africa or whatever. And then you think, well, the South Americans that have been here, right? How, how fruitful is that? I don't know. Maybe there's too much investment up front to make that fruitful. But that, again, that would... That would be a that would be a, it's it's kind of a double edged maybe a potentially a double edged sword right because you 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 need to invest to actually to get something from that and like Vancouver right now I, you know we were talking about this offline at uh, you Steve and I about it seems like there's a lot of turnover going on at the club anyways it seems like yeah. there's a lot of positions they're trying to bring people in for anyways at the moment to do new things like this they probably have to bring in even more people so. I don't see them. I don't see them unless they planned for that in last, like last year's budget, or like budgeting for this year. I can't see them being able to really take advantage of that for another year. And the one thing I hope that doesn't happen is that you just bring in players because, or you think, oh, I can market in that country because that's how it felt in Martin Rennie's first year. Where you, you were like, oh, we've got a Japanese player, tick that box. We've got a Vietnamese player, tick that box. We've got YP Lee. There we've got the Korean fans on board. We've got a Scottish guy. We've got an English guy. 
that that's not how you build a successful team on the pitch. It might get you great sponsorship opportunities or interest overseas, but you need to really tread carefully with that. And I'm 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 sure they won't make that mistake because Mark Panis seems like a guy that's really switched on and really clued in. And some of the stuff that he's done at the New York Knicks, just reading about that, and some of the stuff that he's done with AS Roma, he seems really, really business savvy. And I think that's the big difference. Like, we're not talking about like him and Schuster necessarily replacing Bobby and Rachel one for one, like for like, but you're bringing people in that's got a background in sport. And I know Bobby's got a background as a player and as a coach, but a lot of people that have played the game can't coach. A lot of coaches can't be executives and get into administrative sides. And if you're a chief financial officer, but you don't have a background in sport, I think that does hamper you a little bit. So it's nice that they're actually, I think, bringing in football people, sports people. Panis has worked in the NBA and he's done investment portfolios and he's worked in Serie A. This is a big thing. It's a big, big change. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think Rachel Lewis did some stuff with tennis before, before, before the Whitecaps. But that's not a real sport. Um, no, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It, it is a big change, and it is again, it, sh- it should bring hope. What will be on the other end of that hope? Obviously, time, time will tell. But yeah. it, it is, it is a definitely an interesting um, time in terms of what's going on off the field right now. I mean, the, the on-the-field stuff is still feels like, I mean, this is like, whatever, midway through January, and it it, does, it doesn't feel great. No, you know, the, of, I mean, it, there's I, some I, alarm bells ringing. No, yeah. It seems like, you know, if you Lucas Cavallini, that's nice, right? And for those who are have, you know, been following him and have, you know, you know, following him with the men's national team especially, you know, it's nice, but it's still this, this promise they made, you know, make people excited by the end of January. Uh, I don't know that they'll, they'll lose a ton of people, but it it, it doesn't feel like... I, 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 like There's not a lot of excitement about what's going to happen on the field yet, I don't I don't feel. Yeah, and that... Do you, do, you, like, do, you, do you feel like they've done enough? Right now, no. Because you look and it's like, who have you added? You've added Cavallini, you've added two draft picks... We're, we're going to talk to, to Steve later on the show about the the rumours of uh, Christian Dijon, the winger, and Eric Doy looks like he's re-signed. That's not... I mean, it's not even enough to, to give you a team that is going to drastically rise up the table, and, and that's what they're needing, because for all the talk about growing globally and internationally, you have to grow locally first. You have to get a winning team on the pitch. That gets the fans in. That gets the interest in the media. That gets people watching at home excited and wanting to talk to their friends and go to the game and maybe get tickets and increase the fan base. That all starts on the pitch. And as things are going just now, it looks like it could be another long slog of a season. And it doesn't... After the season we had, to be more excited about the stuff off the pitch than on it is not a good feeling in, in, in my book. No. And it doesn't help that you have players like in Bob Wong and Ali Adnan yeah. continuing talking publicly about how they how they want to be in Europe. Yeah, and like, I mean, there's how, how there's two of your DPs and the two guys that you could market internationally. Yeah. It, it, are, are their comments in any way comparable to what Kendall Watson said when he was here? Well, see, that's, that's an, an interesting point because he did say that he wanted to leave 
but he said it locally, whereas these guys are saying it back home to their their journalist. But I guess, yeah, I mean, if you if you look at it, there isn't actually that much of a of a difference. I think Kendall was held up to to higher values just because he was the club captain. But no, I mean, any player saying they want to leave and and go to Europe, although Kendall didn't say that, he just said he wanted to to move on. No, that's a, that's a fair point. It, it, I mean. Obviously, there's different histories, and so the players are are treated differently and stuff. But as I keep on seeing these things come up again and again, especially in bombs like the other day or whatever, it came up again. Yeah, that's kind of like sure you might be playing to your to your local media back home, but like those comments are not good. Like you know, the Whitecaps communication department is not happy. Well, it's hard to like if you're marketing the team around these guys and they're your two DPs. If they were to leave right at the end of, say, the European transfer window, then you've got the Whitecaps scrambling to fill some key positions, whereas they're already... I don't want to say they're scrambling, because we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and what players are lined up and what players might come in in February once the, the English and European windows close and stuff like that, and our window doesn't even open until the second week of February. But... If you lose one or two of them big players now and you're having to fill that as well as some starters and a lot of depth, that is not what we were told. It's like we were told most of the team would be in place by the start of pre-season and we're now five days away from that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so I can't see... I, I don't see either of them leaving in the winter. No, um, I don't either. I, it could it could happen, but I don't see that that happening. But uh, the, the fact that they're they're talking about it, I think, it just does not help build excitement for the team. No, and I, I think yeah, I don't begrudge them the desire to play in Europe, obviously. But well, in terms of like people who just just garnering excitement for the Vancouver Whitecaps, your two two of your most key players talking about how they can't wait to get to Europe doesn't help, uh, especially those who maybe like the Whitecaps, but aren't really integrated into the football community, right? Yeah. And I, I guess the difference as well, like a lot of European clubs don't like to make too many additions in their in the winter window, so they do wait until the summer. And then that gives these players six months, well, not even six months, maybe three or four months to show in Vancouver. Yeah, look, we are worthy of going on to bigger and better things. But, I mean, you've had Schuster coming in and talking about that is really the way forward. They want to bring players in that use MLS as a stepping stone and then get a bigger and better move to, to Europe or, or wherever. So, I mean, when, when you are talking about that, I think it's something that fans are just going to have to accept is if, if this plan comes off, we're going to see this maybe not every season, but pretty regularly. Yeah, and that, that'd be fine if you saw more of those things happening and more of those funds being reinvested into the squad, right? Yeah. So when when people look at it and they're like, okay, Alfonso went for you know thirteen to twenty two million, and they see only so far. They, they, I'm not saying this is all that went into the the, the playing side. But when people only see Lucas Cavallini coming from that, or only you know Lucas Cavallini in Balmong and Jasper Camiri or whatever, you know, coming from that. They're looking at them. They're saying, "Okay, well, where's the other half of this money going?" You know, you know what I mean. Like, it, so if it's not reinvested, then it, then that that whole ethos, that whole approach, kind of falls flat or will eventually collapse, right? And so 
that that way of, of that that way of doing things is you know done by what like I don't know seventy five to ninety percent of the football clubs around the world, right? Uh, yeah. How they function, uh, or the, how they you know how they how they keep things going, but you have to be able to do it and and do it well. I also want to say that you know Axel and MDS might have certain things lined up that you know either they're going to pull off by the end of January or even these next five days, or you know by the time by February twenty ninth or whatever. Uh, that might be great and might might fill out the squad in in great ways, but it's hard to see that happening based on our previous experiences. And if we're really lucky, there'll be a strike, and then we've got even longer to try and get our players. Well, I mean, I, I think we've said this on the show before. I I think we think, well, I think, and I I think you Steve share a similar view that the players really need to hold out for what they desire. Absolutely, a, a strike, a strike. Although it hurts everyone, um, I think might be the only way for them to get the things that they really, really want, and they should hopefully be willing to do that. And an, an interesting thing. Now, this might just have been a slip of the tongue, language, or whatever from from Axel after after his draft scrum, where he was talking about the preseason players coming in, and then he said, "If we go to San Diego." So, like, we know that the plans are for San Diego, but he said, if we go to San Diego, and, of course, the San Diego trip is right around when the CBA runs out. So maybe they are getting word through that pre-season is going to be disrupted a little bit. Yeah, a lot of little slips lately. Yeah, I like that. I like reading into things that's maybe not actually <laughs> true. That's, that's, that's why we have a show. We have two hours to fill. We have to do stuff like that. So just before you go... I just want to ask you possibly about another little slip that was kind of let go during the the Mark Panis uh, introduction. Jeff Mallett was there and he was talking about the World Cup 2026, the Whitecaps' seven-year plan to take them up to that, which is refreshing to hear all in itself. But then he kind of mentioned about Vancouver being a part of the World Cup. Then when he was pushed on that, said, oh, I meant our players being part of the team that took place then. So that was interesting, and you thought, okay, maybe that was just a a genuine slip. Then there there was an article on Yahoo, which we were talking about before we recorded, and we didn't know Yahoo was still a thing, but apparently Yahoo is still a thing. And of course, Jeff Mallett, a guy that set up Yahoo. Um, But Yahoo Sports mentioned, they had an article talking about the cities that were going to get whittled down to the 10 hosting cities in America. Not that interesting. But then they talked about the Canadian cities of Toronto, Montreal and Edmonton and then threw in that there's strong murmurs that Vancouver could be about to oust Edmonton and get back in the mix. And when I was actually through in Calgary for the the Cavalry Whitecaps game back in July and talked about this on the show after I came back as well, speaking to a couple of people there, they were saying that the, the chatter in and around Edmonton was that they were in danger of pulling out or of being one of the bidding cities financial-wise because the cost of trying to get the infrastructure and especially the transit links from the airport to downtown and having the transit around the city was going to be prohibitive of them from, from being one of the, the World Cup cities. It was just simply a case. They looked at what it was going to cost what the benefits were going to be to the city. And the word in the street at the time was that there was a lot of people 
in government there that were having serious second thoughts about it and they were likely to possibly pull out. And if that is what it has all come down to, then that most certainly opens the door to Vancouver. Have you heard anything along those lines? And I mean, I'm excited by the prospect. It'll keep me going for a little bit, but I think everyone hoped this might happen. Is it even feasible or realistic? Yeah, you, you remember when you were like in uh, whatever in school in your younger days, and there was like that that person you really really liked, and um, but you were pretty sure they didn't like you, but then all of a sudden, like one of your friends came to you and was like, uh, "Yeah, I think so and so likes you." How do you know about Andrea Luft? <laughs> she was she was German actually. My interest in German girls started early. Yeah, that feeling of like excitement, and you're like. Like you're telling me, there's a chance, you know, like the Dumb and Dumber quote. Like I, like I, I so long for the. Like I mean, this would be amazing. Having you know the U20 being here in 2007 was amazing. The Women's World Cup in 2015 here was amazing. I've had I was blessed to be able to go to the World Cup in Germany in uh, in 2006 for the uh, for the Men's World Cup. There's a lot of things about the 2026 World Cup that. Uh, it being in Vancouver would just make life so much better and so much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, obviously, I I long for this to happen, and I would love uh, love it if, especially if Canada were to play a game here. So I am I am hopeful. I haven't heard concrete things where I'm able to say like, oh yeah, like I I think there's a lot to this. Uh, I think there's potentially something to this, but. Uh, Hopefully in the weeks ahead we can talk more about this or the months ahead we can talk more about this with some more um, hearing more than than just murmurs. Maybe even maybe hear, hearing a little bit things a little more more clearly of, of the of the pencil for this. But I mean, no offense to Edmonton and, and the, the people there. I mean, other than we don't like them. Oh, <laughs> I'm joking. No, I'm joking. It's all because uh, of the snow. Yeah, uh, Commonwealth is fine and stuff, but. Now it doesn't have grass anymore, so it doesn't have that over BC Place, and so it doesn't really have anything over BC Place at all, right? Whether it's size, I think sizes are comparable, are really close, um, and uh, it's it's uh, BC Place is close. So you don't have to worry about the elements, but you can also open the little hole, and you can't compare the cities of Edmonton and Vancouver in a real way, right? Like, yeah. and, I, and I, was, I don't just say that to be to be biased. If you're bringing if you have the opportunity to bring the world for an event to either Edmonton or Vancouver, I mean, it's not even like a discussion, right? Like, you bring them to Vancouver. Um, and again, I don't say that to be negative about Alberta or Edmonton at all. Um, I, I enjoy going to games in Edmonton, you know, for the Voyager's Cup and whatever. Uh, or, I, you know, I went to the Whitecaps play the Galaxy there back in, I don't know, 2007 or 2008. Oh, yeah. Was. Um, so I enjoy, and I've been to the Women's World Cup there. I've seen the men's, the men's national team play. Like I enjoy going there for games and stuff. But if there's any chance that Vancouver can be a part of this, even if it means Edmonton's out, I mean, other than people living in Edmonton or Alberta, like I think everyone would see the wisdom in this, right? I mean, totally. And then you've got the the possibility of a group where you're playing games in Vancouver and Seattle, and it's close, and we have the training facilities here. And, I mean, we'll get Prince Harry involved. He's got nothing else to do. He's going to be here. He can get involved in the bid. Yeah, where's he going? Is he moving to Canada? Yeah, he's going to be one of our co-hosts on the show. I was going to reveal that next week, but I may as well just reveal that now. Well, he'll be like the 
Just for radio? Yeah, but also, because uh, we were looking for uh, someone to paint in the white cap strip, Meghan Markle. There we go, we'll get her. Oh my. Um, but, but no, like, yeah, we, uh, that actually, we brought up a really good point there, actually. One of, the, one of the things, if you remember a number of years ago, when people were like, oh, why isn't Vancouver playing any of these friendlies against these big clubs? One of yeah. the reasons why clubs didn't want to come to Vancouver uh, was because the, the lack of, let's call it, top-end football training facilities, right? And now that they have the national, what's called the National Development Center, whatever it's called yeah. at UBC, there's a place, there is an actual kind of a top-end place for football training to happen. I don't know if you remember, do you remember that? Like, I think... Oh, yeah. Everton, Everton, or Everton were meant Everton. to come and play a game here, apparently, yeah. Yeah, they went to Edmonton. They didn't come here because of the training facilities. Was one of the primary reasons. Uh, and other teams have, have done likewise. And so, yeah, that. I mean, other than the fact that UBC and it's way, way out of the way for virtually everyone, it, it is a piece that helps uh, when it, when you're comparing cities on uh, for this type of event on that level. Well, let's dream. We've got to have hope. That's what 2020 is going to be about. We're going to be positive and look on the bright side at everything. Thanks so much for joining us on the on the phone for this chat. Really enjoyed it as always. We'll be back in the studio chatting in person next week. But just before we go, Zach, just let everyone know where they can find you online. Yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter at ZacharyAM. Uh, thanks for having me on this way, Michael. I look forward to being in studio with you and Steve again, hopefully next Sunday. That's great. Take care, man, and we'll chat soon. So some interesting times ahead, I'm sure, off the pitch and Panis will get to work right away and he's been very engaging with the fans as well. You can follow him on Twitter at WhitecapCEO and it just feels like a refreshing breath of air. And as I talked to Zach a little bit about there and as I mentioned on the show last week, this is another part, it feels, of Jeff Mallett stamping his direction and his authority on the Whitecaps and very pleased to see it. Look forward to to where that might take us. But of course the Whitecaps growth off the pitch is very much going to be linked to the growth on the pitch. You have to grow the fan base in Canada, you have to grow the fan base coming to games at BC Place before you can really take this brand off internationally and that's going to be the work of Mark DeSantos and Axel Schuster. And we're going to talk about that in the next part. But before we get to that, let's have a a little musical interlude. And we're going to bring you the latest song from our January Artist of the Month, German all-girl band Gurr, out of Berlin. And we're going to play you, instead of just a snippet of their song this year, since we're doing things a little bit differently, we're going to actually play you the whole song, because it is a bit of a short song. This is from their 2016 album, In My Head... This is Roller Skate.
was Gurr there with a song from their 2016 album In My Head, Roller Skate. And we'll have more from our Artist of the Month for January next week. Don't think you could go very fast in roller skates in the snowy conditions that we've got just now. A sledge would be the much better thing to have out there just now. But you can certainly go quite fast on roller skates and maybe have a bit of a race against some of the speedy Whitecaps players that we've had over the years Many of them coming through the draft, and it does look like we have another fast one in our first round selection in the 2020 MLS draft, Ryan Raposo. The Whitecaps had the fourth pick in the first round of this year's MLS Super Draft. Raposo was the guy that they went for. Winger stroke midfielder, can play a variety of positions. Canadian lad as well, from Hamilton, Ontario. Spent a lot of time with a, a number of clubs there, including Vaughan Soccer Club. Had some training stints over in Germany with the, the likes of Mainz and Hoffenheim. Most recently been at Syracuse University. Spent two years there before deciding to, to come out and, and put himself forward for the MLS draft. Because like many of the young guys that, that we speak to, especially guys coming out of the draft, his dreams that he, he's wanted for a number of years now is to be a professional footballer. They have now been realised with the Whitecaps signing him. Generation Adidas deal, so it won't cost the Whitecaps anything in the salary cap. And he, he looks a, a really good prospect. Naraposo had a, a very strong start to his, his two years uh, at Syracuse University. 19 goals and 14 assists and 36 starts. 38 appearances overall over the two years. He was named to the All-ACC First Team as a sophomore in 2019, and he was named to the freshman's team in 2018. 20 years old, definitely a lot of upside to him, uh, and uh, a lot of promise in the guy. I'm very excited at what he can do with the Whitecaps, how they can bring him on, and just how he's going to kind of fit into Mark DeSantos' side. Got a chance as well to, to chat with Ryan after Thursday's MLS Super Draft. Got him on the phone after he did all his media duties following the draft, and he had a, a lot of interesting things to say, so so let's hear now from the Whitecaps' newest Canadian, Ryan Raposo. Thanks so much for for doing this today, Ryan. I'm pretty sure it's been a bit of a whirlwind day for you. Talk talk us through what your your draft day experience was like. It was amazing. 
honestly, to see all my friends and families and coaches and everyone in one place supporting me um, was definitely big time. Uh, made me really happy. And at the end of the day, I'm going to the club that I, I wanted to go to. I'm staying in Canada, and I'm able to uh, continue to grow the sport here in Canada. So I'm happy. A lot of the mock drafts uh, that came out but before today it had you come into Vancouver, so a lot of people were had already looked into you and thought that you might end up in Vancouver with them having the, the highest pick of a Canadian team. When did you first become aware that the, the Whitecaps were interested in bringing you here? To be, to be completely honest, um, I know there was a lot of other teams in the top 10 that were telling my agent that if he's available at that point in time, uh, that we would take them, and uh, I didn't hear anything at all from Vancouver. The funny thing is, Vancouver actually followed me on uh, social media yeah. night very late, so that that was kind of interesting. And this morning, you know, I was just telling my parents that you know I really hope Vancouver picks me forth. You know, I re- uh, that's a place that I've never been to, and um, I'd, I'd love to go. So um, I really, I, I really had no clue that I was going to Vancouver. Oh, wow, because I, I was watching the, the video this morning after the announcement was made live, and obviously they had the, the white cap scarf there. Was it a case of having lots of different scarves there just yeah, to yeah. see? Yeah, they had, they had every MLS club's uh, scarf there just in case. Wow, that's kind of crazy. I've always kind of wondered how things like that work out. So, I mean, you're obviously delighted to, to be here, as you said, and delighted to be, be staying in Canada. How, how's your family feeling all about it? Uh, my family, they've actually been to Vancouver. Um, I, I'm actually the only one that hasn't been there, and they <laughs> love it. Um, they love the mountains and everything. They've been they've been talking to me about, um, and I even have my extended family here at my house right now. Uh, I'm pretty sure my aunt lived in Vancouver for a bit, so they all speak very highly of of the city and the people and the culture. And and again, you know, I'm I'm excited to get there and, and find out myself. So before we kind of look too much in, into the future, I kind of want to delve a little bit into the past with you. And what was it like growing up in Hamilton and, and playing soccer there? And at what age did you know that, that this is what you wanted to do as a career? Um, I would say even before I started playing competitively, um, maybe like six, seven, honestly. Um, soccer's always, always, always been my passion and um, it's never been anything else, you know, as, as you get older, 16, 17, 18, um, you get girlfriends and you get your license and this and that, you start to go out. But me, I've, I've never, never thought of doing anything else than being a professional footballer, whether that's in Canada, USA, or over in, uh, in Europe. Um, so it's definitely a dream come true that it's happened, but I do know that I mean, the work's just started. Uh, the fact that I got here and I got the contract doesn't um, doesn't mean much if I if I can't continue that and perform well and make my family proud and you know now it's about trying to get minutes and this and that and then eventually try and get that second contract. So no, I'm I'm definitely happy. Now, I mean, you mentioned Europe there, and I, I think so many of us have now done research on you and, and your training stints over in Germany. Being in that environment and then seeing what it's like, because it, it is different over in Europe. As sure, you can sure. probably tell, I'm from Scotland, so I mean things are very different over there, and the passion for the game and oh, folk, sure. yeah, they live and breathe it. So 
did that just make you, does that, did that just cement for you that th- this is what you want for your life? And how, how did you find the whole German experience? So, I mean, I was around 15, and here in Hamilton, there's no real soccer player to look up to um, other than my older brothers. Um, so when I moved out to Germany at around 15, instantly fell in love with the country and culture, and I knew, like, that's, like, here in Canada, especially in Hamilton, it's a, growing up, it was always hockey, 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 and, you know, the little Asian kid playing soccer <laughs> was always shunned kind of thing because they see no real future in that. Um, so when when I moved out to Germany, it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, definitely the hardest time of my life so far. Um, as you know, with European soccer, it's completely different culture, yeah. different atmosphere than North American. It's very hostile, right? You're going there and you're taking food off their plates and that's how they take it. So growing up and understanding that, I mean, I lived by myself, 15 years old, living in a basement. Oh, wow. So I've, I've gone through kind of like those growing pains of being a quote-unquote pro and I understand what, what, uh, what's, what's uh, ahead of me. Um, you know, definitely playing in Vancouver will be an easier place, and uh, but it'll still it'll still uh, be very very tough. And you know, it's a professional environment. You know, I'll have to perform because you know everyone's fighting for that starting eleven spot, starting uh, fighting for that eighteen spot. So um, I know I'll just have to continue to do what I do and just keep my head down and work hard. That's that's about it for me. Now, I know you've been involved with some youth camps uh, with Canada. Do, do you know any of the, the Whitecaps players at all? Have you kind of come across them in your in your travels? Yeah, no, I've, I've never met any of them except uh, Theo Bear, actually. Okay. Uh, him and I played, played together at youth level here in uh, Toronto, Ontario. And yeah, I know we, yeah, we know of each other and we've played with each other a couple of times. But uh, for the other national team players, obviously, guys bringing Cavallini and and whatnot um I've I've never met or or played with them now I mean I know you were involved a little bit with TFC Academy for a while how did you end up at Syracuse I mean I'm always curious how how people end up at all the different universities was it that they just offered you a good scholarship so yeah TFC released me when I was around 11 uh was staying local with a club coach here and then I made a move to a Toronto-based team at around 16, 17, Vaughn, and they actually produce like a lot of a lot of professional players. Yeah, yeah, a lot of professional players. And the coach there, Patrice Geyser, I mean, he's coached some of the best players in Canada, such as Kamal Miller, uh, Dane Sinclair. He went to Minnesota last year. Um, he coached Otorio at Toronto FC, um, and we actually had four four Vaughn guys um, going in the first round today. Uh, obviously, me at four, Alistair Johnson at eleven, uh, Niall Higgins at nineteen, and Dayon Harris at twenty. So these are all guys I've played with growing up, and um, so yeah, we all uh, Patrice helped us all get scholarships into the states, and then from there, um, I knew from day one that my end goal would try and sign a try and be a sign a contract with Adidas, and yeah, I'm just grateful that it all worked out. Yeah, and I mean, looking at, at your time there. You had two years there. They seem to have gone really well. You're averaging a, a goal every two appearances, which is, is phenomenal. 
how did you find that jump to, from going to youth soccer to college level? And then how tough do you expect it to be now to make the jump from college into the pro game? It's tough. It's tough. Honestly, scoring goals in college is tough, and it's obviously very, very different than youth soccer. It's much more physical, fast-paced. Um, you have a lot of athletes involved. So more so for me, being a smaller guy, it's using my brain and using my head. Uh, trying to be in the right spot at the right time um, and that type of thing. Um, so I, I definitely know that at the next level it will be even tougher, right? But th- this is something that I'm mentally and physically prepared for. And I know it's going to take time to adapt. It, it takes everyone a bit of time to adapt. But I'm confident in myself and my abilities and my tactical awareness and you know, again, soccer is my passion. I study it. I wa- when I'm not playing soccer, I'm watching it and studying it. So I'll be comfortable what, in whatever position um, I ended up playing. I end up playing. So yeah. You have been asked this a lot. It's like you've come out after your sophomore year, two years at college. Right. It's obviously a, it's a major decision to to do that. How how long did you have to kind of debate doing that or? did you make your mind up quite easy that that you wanted to just go for it this time round? Because I know a lot of folk maybe wait to third year, a lot or fourth year. What what made you decide to do that now? Um, again, it's been my number one goal since I was a kid to be a professional footballer. Um, you know, getting I got some professional uh, contract offers when I was in Germany. So I was either playing in Germany or... Um, Signing with Syracuse and going for GA, so it's been it's been on my mind since day one at Syracuse University that if Generation Adidas ever came around, that uh, I would definitely choose it. And uh, yeah, I thought I did what I had to do on the field, and I, I performed at the combine, had one of the faster 40 meter dashes, I, I scored in, in the match. Um, so it's all about doing whatever, doing the best you can do, and and um, and yeah. But I, I think it's it's been a good decision and I think you've landed at a good club because Mark DeSantis is a guy that he likes to give young players opportunities and especially Canadians as well. What What's the chat? I don't know how much chat you've even had with, with Mark so far, but where does he kind of see you fitting in? Has he told you? Does he see you more as a winger? Does he see you more as a midfielder or maybe a striker um, off the bench? I'm, I'm actually hopping on the phone with him tonight. Oh. He <laughs> briefly did to uh, congratulate me and welcome me to the club. Uh, same with some guys, uh, board directors uh, uh, at the club, just calling, uh, just messaging me, congratulating me, and that we will get on the phone later. But, uh, yeah, I, I see myself at the next level as a winger, any any attacking position, left, right, attacking midfielder, even in the eight, a wing back, left wing back, right wing back, false nine. Uh, I think I could fit in have all these positions. That's fantastic, and we certainly we certainly need wingers here just now. We're in short supply of those, so I really wish you all the best. I'm really glad that Vancouver's picked you. Thank you so much for your time today, Ryan. I know it's been a busy day for you. Look forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks, and congratulations, man. Alrighty, thank you so much for having me. Take care. See you soon. See you soon. Thanks. Bye. Getting drafted, and I know it. Drafted and I know it. Ryan Raposo there talking all things about his life and his hopes for the future and 
Definitely a very exciting prospect. We'd looked at last week's show, a, a number of the, the guys that the Whitecaps may have decided to take in the draft, and Raposo was the one that stood out. He'd been linked to the Whitecaps in a number of mock drafts, and part of it will have been the Canadian aspect of it, obviously. But with what he brings to the team just now, as I mentioned to him there, we're, we're short of wingers, we're needing some wingers, and if he wants to get played in the wing, if he wants to be played more in a midfield role, he can play as a 10 Lots of possibilities for him. It's a great chance here for him to kind of establish himself in the team and, and make a name for himself and and just add to the number of exciting young Canadian talent that the Whitecaps have here just now. But it's fine to talk to, to Ryan about his, his time at Syracuse and his time in Germany, his hopes for the future, everything like that. I think the burning question, though, that everybody really wanted to know was, did he fancy a chocolate digestive? Do this with every player um, that comes to the club. It's kind of our traditional thing on our show. So you're not a white cap until we do this with you. If you're sitting at home and you decide to have a hot beverage, what would be your hot beverage of choice? Tea, coffee or something else? Um, I would honestly say espresso. I enjoy my espresso. Excellent. And then are you a kind of biscuits fan? Of cookies? Do you like those? Uh, yeah, I like a good chocolate chip cookie. Good oatmeal cookie, honestly. I really like oatmeal cookies. And are you a dunker? It depends. If I have a coffee, I'll definitely dunk, but if it's just an espresso, I'll quickly have my espresso and then uh, eat my cookie in peace. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? So no chocolate digestive for Ryan Raposo there, but oatmeal cookies it is. Good to see he likes the dunk. So looking forward to seeing how Ryan's going to fit into the, the Whitecaps this season. We'll get our first look at him pretty soon when pre-season camp gets underway. It's maybe going to be a little bit of bare bones, I think, when the, the pre-season camp gets underway. But joined now on the phone by Steve, who is going to kind of chat with us a little bit about some of the, the additions that have been made this week and what may be to, to come as well. So so thanks for joining us, Steve. Now, the, the Whitecaps, we, we talked on last week's show that we hoped that the Whitecaps would have one or two new players, assuming that they they didn't trade away their, their draft picks, and, and they didn't. They, they stayed with them. Their first-round pick, fourth overall, Ryan Raposo, just played some audio from him there. He, he sounds like a, a young lad that's really got his head screwed on and he's excited to, to come here. We talked about him a little bit in last week's show. It's now he's the guy that the Whitecaps went for. It, it seemed like a bit of a no-brainer. Generation Adidas, a Canadian guy, a winger. Kind of ticks all, all the boxes, really, that they were needing. Yeah, uh, essentially everything they needed uh, for like a depth standpoint. I don't expect him to come in and be a starter, but... He can definitely play, like come out, uh, be maybe be in the eighteen eventually, and and play different roles. Like you said, winger, but he can. People have also talked about being a, a number ten, where he can drive the ball and he scored quite a bit of goals. Uh, if you see his highlights uh, from Syracuse, you'll see that he he came in and he basically scored a lot of goals off the wing, but also in the middle, playing that number ten role. Now, obviously, number ten role coming from college to 
the pros is not going to be easy to adapt to, so you don't want to push them in that. So stay, starting out at the wing is fine, but then eventually the wing would, I mean, number 10 could be a position down the road that he could play. Yeah, I mean, the, the White Caps officially in, in their press release mentioned that he was a midfielder. And when, when we spoke to him there just now, he mentioned he can play in the wing, he can play as a 10, he can play as an 8, he can even play as a 6. So a very versatile young guy. And, I mean, it, it gives the, the White Cats a lot of options. And we've seen it before with, with players coming out of college. They might come out of college used to one position, but then once they get into the pros, they, they, they develop into something else. But his goal-scoring record, he's averaging a goal in college every two games. And I, I don't care what level you're playing at, that's, that's pretty impressive. And he looks like he's going to add a, a, a spark that the White Caps need. And having someone like him coming off the bench so versatile as well, could be really good for them this year. Yeah, for sure, and especially, like, considering we don't know what's going to be in the lineup right now, it's good to have someone of those versatile players that can play multiple positions, but I think the wing is obviously the best position. You talked about his goal scoring, but he can also, is very good at setting up Yeah. Um, uh, his teammates on passes. I think he's got a pretty good assist record, too, but uh, the I think the overall thing for him is to just, you know, like you said, come in, work hard, learn the system. I think he's got enough dynamic ability where he can play MDS system, where he can uh, you know, push up the field, drive the ball up the field, and also put pressure on the players up the field as well, on the defenders. Yeah, and for, for most of the, the last college season at Syracuse, he was playing as a 10, and his assists record is very, very impressive. Now, we've talked about it on the show before, a lot of the success that the Whitecaps have really had in the draft have kind of come more on the defensive side. But we've had some exciting young attacking talent, varying degrees of success. I mean, Darren Mattox still playing in the league and he's had success possibly more away from Vancouver than he had at it. Kakuta Mane, Eric Curtado, he's now kind of had a bit of a new lease of life in, in sport in Kansas City. Do you think it was sensible to go for a, a midfielder, a, a winger, with their, their first pick? Or would they maybe have been better to try and get some defensive sort of backup for left-back or right-back position? I, I think the guy that they were possibly looking at, if it was a proposal, was Dylan Nealis. Yeah. I think we talked about him last game. He was, but he went third overall to pick before. I don't know how much they would have gone after him, but he kind of fit what they needed. But I think the, the winger position was fine. The problem is if they, they went after one of the central defenders that was available or a striker, at this point, uh, uh, I don't know how much they're going to see the pitch because if you think of it, you got Cornelius, you got Karimi, and then you got Godoy, who essentially sounds like he's coming back. So you got three. So if you bought a central defender, he would have been fourth on the depth chart. How much is he going to have effect on the team this year? If you get a striker, like there was a, a guy that just arrived, like I didn't hear much about him, DK or something like that. Yeah. Um, he was available too, but then you got Cavallini that just came in. If he if they bring him in, like there's other players that could, and you got Montero still in the lineup. So they were really had a lot of strikers at this point in, with uh, Ricketts too. So this is a position, a winger. They needed some depth. They they didn't have really, and he can, he can play, like we said, he can play inside too. So it's not like he's just playing on the wing. He is versatile. He can play inside. He can, uh, if they change formations, if they go, you know, a, a, a four-one-three-two or whatever, that, whatever they decide to do, they, they, they can he can play in that secondary striker role. So, uh, so I think he's a, he's a good wise pick. 
Yeah, and from from the audio that we we just played with him there, he he's got his head screwed on. He knows that that it's a, a big challenge now going on to the pros. He he talked about it was different going from youth to college. That was a jump. He knows this is going to be a jump. He's actually had some experience playing in the Voyagers Cup already because he played for Von Azuri against Halifax this year in the Voyagers Cup and, and scored a goal as well. So he has been kind of tested at the higher level and done well. He's done well at the 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 combine as well. He scored a goal. He impressed people. And interestingly, he said there in my chat with him that there was a number of clubs that had picks in the top 10 that had spoken to his agent and said that they were interested in him. And the fact that he was a GA player means that if the Whitecats hadn't taken him, someone definitely was going to take him early. So I think it's been a been a good pickup by by the Whitecaps. And we'll, we'll really just have to see how he progresses as, as this season goes on. But I'm looking forward to seeing him. It does sound from, from speaking to him that if he hadn't got that GA contract, he wouldn't have come out of, of college early either. So... Yeah. I mean that that that's good for him. The the second pick that the the Whitecaps had on Thursday, this one surprised me a little bit. I've got to say because when you look at the wealth of goalkeeping talent that's come through the Whitecaps in recent years, you would have thought drafting a goalkeeper would have been quite low down their their picking order. But Axel Schuster said afterwards that was the position they were looking to fill. It, it just it seems surprising to me. I, I don't find it that surprising. I think the, if the, this guy is like a—he's a, 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 not like a young guy. He's a 22-year-old. He's a graduate student, so he doesn't need to like, go back to school the rest of the year. He, you got Thomas Hassel as your number three keeper. I don't feel very comfortable bringing him a number two right off the bat. Yeah. He's still very young, so why not bring in a draft pick? Who, honestly, there's been a lot of draft picks that are goalkeepers that are able to play a backup role and play spot duty. Um, and if they solidify their defense, maybe they don't need the keeper as much to make those huge saves or no multiple things that Kerpola had to. So it's not a huge surprise for me, um, but they, I think it was like the fourth or fifth goalkeeper, so I'm not sure how good he is. He, he seems like he, he has a decent record in college. He's a redshirt senior, so that means he's played been in school for like five years. So uh, he's had, a, I think, probably the last three years was when he really started starting a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll have to see what he's like as well. MDS has indicated that he's going to give him the the chance to to earn that backup role, and I mean, even if he doesn't, that there's going to be other goalkeepers out there that I'm, I'm pretty sure that that they can pick up, and it's really only going to become an issue anyway if Kripo gets injured. Of course, he could be away on international duty and stuff like that as well. But I mean, Kripo's going to be the guy that starts bit between the sticks, and I mean, Hassel's a good keeper maybe give him the, the Canadian Championship games and, and just have a look at him as well. But, I mean, you never know. This might be an opportunity for them to, to loan Hassel out as well to, to yeah. maybe get minutes somewhere. And we don't know if it's, uh, Hassel's still not the, they're considered a backup keeper right now at this point. It's just because maybe they drafted this guy because they want a the number three keeper and they don't want to spend that much money on a number three keeper. True. So we, if, until they get to, to camp to figure out where they're going to be, then, you know, at this point, is it probably up for grabs over the backup is? Yeah, I mean, we saw in camp last year everyone thought McMath was going to be the number one and then it ends yeah. up that Kripo's the, the guy that earns that. I mean, talking about loaning young players out as well, there was a couple of murmurs going around th- this week online that Simon Coline had been over at PSV Eindhoven and he seems to have impressed over there and he might be going over there permanently. 
Um, there's also been some murmurs as well that the Whitecaps are going to sign Damiano Pisayo to a, a homegrown contract, but then loan him out as well to to get some playing time in Europe. So, I mean, that might be the kind of modus operandi just now for for the club with their young guys. Yeah, because um, they may be sending him to Europe on loan in their academy teams or in their reserve sides. Maybe that is the better option. It is a kind of a higher, little bit higher standard than what CPL might be, at least at the same age level. But it is another avenue for them to try to develop players. And they could start giving that person's spot to somebody else coming up the roster and then up the ranks and everything. So it kind of gives it a little bit more players in their system at that point. Yeah, I mean, and Raposo talked about his time over in Germany as well, and it really helped kind of shape him to be both the player and, and the man that he is today because when you go over there as a young guy, especially as a Canadian, you really have to, to fight for your spot. And as Raposo said, it's like he's there trying to take the food off the table of the local guy, so they they don't like him and they, some of them weren't that friendly towards him and, and wouldn't even pass the ball to him in training and, and stuff like that. So if you can go over there and impress and do well and handle all that, I mean, it sets you up so well for a, a pro career. And uh, I, I just can't believe that Germans are nice to people from outside. I know, it's shocking. I mean, shocking. yeah, I'm stunned. Yeah. Now, talking of Germans, one of the nice Germans is, of course, Axel Schuster. And Schuster was talking after the, the draft on Thursday. And one of, we won't go into too much of what he said, but one of the big revelations was he was asked about putting the squad together. He said he feels they're on the right track. And he confirmed that there would be a minimum of two more players signing before pre-season camp gets underway on Saturday. Now, that's a marked change of tone from, first of all, MDS and then Schuster saying that they hope to have, if not all, but the the majority of their squad in place for when pre-season kicked off. Now we're looking at Cavallini, two draft picks, and possibly two, maybe three signed players coming in as well is that a worry or is it maybe an indication that they've just not been able to get some deals over the line yet it's probably i wouldn't say it's a worry at this point because um they do have a kind of a skeleton squad they do have some kind of uh squad uh going on right now it's just a matter of filling it out a lot um it, it seems like to me uh and it's just speculation on my part seems like to me that they don't have that those players that they want and maybe those are the deals that fell through and so they're just gonna try to fill in the roster get the players they want and then eventually maybe like like we talked about it a couple times in december maybe the players they want are waiting for the january transfer winter to happen to see what their other options are yeah those deals fall through maybe they come in in early february or something like that that could be a possibility too so, and unfortunately for the Whitecaps, they put that deadline, I think, at the end of January yeah. or something like that before trading camp. So maybe they should have extended to the end of February or something like that. But that's, that's going to happen. In, in, in any case, the Whitecaps have to realize that that, that, that deadline, that, you know, that thing, money-back guarantee or whatever they put in there, that was just to keep people in right now at this point so that they, they kept their money uh, paid up. I, I personally think that the, the attendance next year is going to be really down, and they have to expect that after the years they've had now, last couple of years, it's a matter of now 
putting to- everything together and actually showing what they can do instead of promising what they can do. And, and maybe people start coming back, there's going to be more walk-up attendance or something as the season goes on. Uh, that's what they have to do. They have to show it on the field before people are willing to put their money down. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's spot on. They have to earn this trust back from a large section of the fan base. And the way to do that is to put a, a winning team on the pitch, an exciting-to-watch team on the pitch. And, I mean, Mark Panis can talk about growing the, the club internationally, but as we talked about in the first part with Zach, you've got to get locally sorted out first and you've got to have a team on the pitch that will help to do that. Now, I mean, one of our local rivals that has done that, of course, is Seattle. And Garth Lagerway was on on a conference call and speaking to journalists this week. And he kind of indicated that they're going to be quite cautious in this transfer window because they just don't know what's happening with the CBA. I mean... You talked about there wasn't that many trades uh, in the draft. That's maybe because they don't know what's going on with TAM, so they didn't want to trade it. Because normally every year it's like a lot of that gets traded instead of maybe the Whitecaps couldn't get anything for uh, that was equivalent to previous years, and that's why they decided to draft somebody. Yeah, I mean, it might be that all the teams are just waiting just now to see, A, if there's going to be a strike, B, if there's not, what's happening with GAM, TAM, designated players and everything. So I think we're going to be in for a very, very busy February, assuming that there, there isn't a strike. So, I mean, we'll have to see what happens there. Maybe that's another thing that's causing delays in signing. But although other teams are signing players left, right and centre. Yeah. But they, but they, they had more of their you know, core already set up, so all the teams are just adding on players to their core. Um, 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 even at Kansas City, I don't think they've signed that many players, and they were looking to revamp everything, so it's interesting to see who's, who's signing a lot of players and who's not. Yeah, totally. And, and looking just as, as the last thing, I mean, Axel talked about a minimum of two players coming in. It looks like Eric Godoy is going to be one of those guys. I mean, the rumours came out from from down in, in South America media that that was a done deal and it's maybe just not been announced yet or whatever. And then this week there's been the interesting transfer saga possibly of Colombian winger Christian de, de Jome who had apparently signed a, a pre-contract with the Whitecaps. Looks like he's going to be a Whitecaps player. A kind of unreliable... Twitter online source had kind of said that Corinthians and Brazil had wanted him and he was trying to get out of that pre-contract. Basically, he's it's not been a reliable source. It does look like Corinthians were interested, but he, he looks like he's going to be a Whitecaps player. And again, reports from, from down South America are that it's all been signed. It's a done deal. So I think that the two players we might expect to be announced this week are Dijome and Godoy. And I mean, that that's two exciting additions. Dijome, I, I know very little about, but if a club like Corinthians are interested in bringing him in and looking at his kind of record, he's got some goals, he's got a lot of assists. He looks like a a, a great addition and he's from Colombia, a, a country which players do notoriously well in, in MLS. We won't know until we see what he's like. He's never played out with his country before, but on, on paper and on highlight reel, it looks exciting. Yeah, and uh, the uh, I, I think he's a winger as well, but he can play different parts of the field, yeah. a mostly wing. I, just based on uh, on his, uh, the, you know, the way he plays and the way he attacks and everything, the way he goes, basically tries to break down the the back line. I think it will be exciting. I think it, he'll also give space to Cavallini. 
um, because people will be uh, interested in him. Uh, there was something on Twitter. I don't, I don't remember who tweeted it out, but there was a comparison between him and Chirinos. And um, it's interesting that the two things that are by far he does better is he's better at successfully dribbling over 90 minutes and his shots over 90 minutes is higher. So um, the thing is with him is from the description, again, this is off Twitter, I haven't seen very much. He seems like to be a guy that really goes for the, the home run and it can catch him against really good teams that are, are sound defensively. Um, but the the player, the teams that aren't, that, and the most of MLS is kind of loosey-goosey when it comes to uh, defending. So he could really take advantage possibly of, of that really teams that don't really pay much attention to defending and, and, and he could be, be counteract or counterattack or or just uh, just a regular attack onto the team. It looks to be an exciting addition, so we'll, we'll see if that does come through. Training camp gets underway on Saturday, then the media get to speak to the players next Monday as well, so that should be good. So just before we, we go, though, Steve, uh, we spoke to Zach in the first part about the, the addition of Mark Panis. Just get quickly your, your thoughts on his addition as CEO. Obviously, a couple of things about him. AS Roma, like, he was with the New York Knicks um, yeah. in the 90s. He actually set up quite a few things. He, the, the thing people are going to think of, New York Knicks, they're a horrible team. Why would you hire somebody for that? He actually spent his time in the 90s when they were actually good. He was part of the first team to launch uh, their own team-run HD broadcast. Um, and they also, uh, he also helped set up, uh, helped set up the WNBA's uh, New York Liberty, which is the women's side of the Knicks. So it's interesting to see those kind of dynamics, to see is he going to help? Obviously, he's going to help with the business side of everything, and which they sorely need help in, uh, because they, sh- they never took advantage of. There's early, like three, four years ago, when they were actually people coming to the stadium, uh, never really took advantage of that. But it'd be interesting to see if he did run some kind of digital network um, online or something for the Whitecaps to help with that. And then the fact that he helped set up the women's uh, Liberty team, um, does he come in and help set up some kind of uh, the women's team here eventually? In, in the in the women's league, whichever league it's going to run into, maybe CPL. Interesting, yeah, that would be interesting. Especially, uh, curious about the digital side. That might be something worth certainly sitting down and having a, a chat with them about. But yeah, I mean, it seems a good addition. It's just interesting to see that, uh, the dynamic of uh, the front office changing so much. Because in the interview he had with local media um, on the radio. He mentioned that it's basically him and Axel Schuster running the club. Axel for the on on field, yeah. and him going to be for the off field. So it's interesting to see what he says. So just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online, Steve. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. So cheers to Steve there. I think it's going to be a, a very busy week in Whitecaps land as as we get set for the opening of preseason camp on Saturday. Players are in for their medical on Saturday, kicking things off on the pitch up at UBC, weather permitting, on the 20th of January. Hopefully the snow's all gone by then. It does look like it's just going to be rain. Will there be a, a few new faces? Will it just be the two that's been alluded to by Axel Schuster? Or will we have some trialists? A, a lot to be seen. A lot to, I'm sure, get sorted out in the next week and coming weeks as well. That is pretty much it for tonight's show, but we cannot have an episode of the AFTN Soccer Show without bringing you a Wavelength. If you're a first-time listener, just to quickly explain, Wavelength is our section of the show where we play a bit of music that's football-related. It could be by a band, it could be 
by a, a footballer himself or some of the teams. And it's the latter category that we're going to feature this week. January's wavelength songs, we decided we were going to all have an FA Cup theme. And when you talk about FA Cup songs, I, I, for me anyway, the thing that automatically springs into your head is the, the songs that were released by the clubs that were playing in the FA Cup finals over the years. It's a tradition that seems to have gone a little bit by the, the wayside in, in more recent years, which is quite sad, because it was always something that teams got to the FA Cup final, they brought out a song, they were on top of the pops over in the UK. Now, some of the songs were pretty dreadful, as you could expect. I think it's fair to say most of the songs were pretty dreadful. But there, there's a couple of iconic ones, and... As much as I hate Tottenham, for me, one of the most iconic FA Cup songs was from 1981, the Tottenham squad, with London icons Chaz and Dave. This was a time when the Tottenham team had the likes of Osvaldo Ardiles and Ricky Villa in it, and they kind of played up a little bit on the Argentinian side of things with their 1981 song, Aussie's Dream. Aussie's
So that was the Tottenham 1981 squad there with Chaz and Dave, Aussie's Dream, Aussie's on the way to Wembley. And Tottenham did win the FA Cup final that year with Ricky Villa being the, the guy that did all the, the damage for them in a replay. But that is it for this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show. A little bit different from our usual radio show. Hope you've enjoyed it nonetheless. We should be back in the studio as normal for next Sunday's show. The podcast will be out on Monday as usual. I'm Michael McCall. You can give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff and away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Also give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer and YouTube, AFTN Canada. Give us a like, subscribe, share, comment, all those things that we need for the algorithms. But until next week, thanks for listening. Take care, stay out of the cold, and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.